Welcome to another edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. I can be found on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. And I'm Zach Dosh, and I can be found on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. Todd and Zach, it's great to be on with you again. And uh, I'm Greg Steeman, and you can find me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. Well, so we talked and talked about this weekend series, saying that the good games were about to come, and, and they didn't disappoint. It was an incredible weekend of Summit League action. And I wanted to start out by talking about the top four teams that all faced off this weekend. And I'll ask a couple of questions and you guys go off onto any path you want to with it. Both of the series split uh, South Dakota winning game one and then South Dakota state winning game two. And then in the other series, North Dakota state winning game one and Oral Roberts winning game two. Was there a team out of those four teams just based on their positioning or where they were thought to be that had the best weekend out of the four, or was it just kind of what we expected from those four teams? And Greg, if you want to start. Well, uh, it's a, it's a great question. And, and I guess my thought was, you know, after Friday night, I'm thinking, boy, USD really proved something. They went on the road, won for the first time in, I think 20 plus years in yeah. Brookings and, and, and demonstrated that, you know, they're, they're able to guard. And, and that's one of the things I talked about, about the Friday night games, you know, their tempo and the toughness of those two games were postseason like both NDSU and ORU and USD and SDSU. And uh, I, I just thought USD really sent a message on the road, winning that first game in Brookings to, to, to basically tell the rest of the league we're for real. And uh, everything we've done here is not a mirage. It's legitimate. You have to give Coach Lee and his staff a ton of credit for kind of, you know, uh, you know, basically trying all of the different combinations they could and, and settling on a lineup that they're comfortable with in the league at this time of the season. And so uh, I, I don't know that any team really proved themselves more than any other team, you know, when you look at a split. But I just thought USD's win Friday night sent a message that saying, you know what, anybody, any of those idiots like 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 some guy like me on this podcast that question their, you know, whether they should be a top four team in the league. Uh, I don't think there's any question they deserve it. And they're playing at that level right now. And even the loss last night in Brookings, um, most teams are going to lose in Brookings, to be honest with you. Most teams at a lot of levels are going to lose in Brookings against this team that South Coast State has. So. Uh, I, I think I don't know that anything really got got shaken out or, or sorted out, but I thought USD certainly dem- you know certainly sent a message. We belong where we're at, which right now is on the top of the Summit League. Right. Yeah, I think you know for me it just kind of proved that like it, it it took it took a while for some of these teams to arrive. You know, it took it took a while for some of these teams to figure things out, and they were all kind of on their own timelines. And, and that's okay. That, that's totally understandable, you know, especially obviously given everything that's gone on this year. But the most important thing is that everybody's rounding into shape once the conference tournament rolls around and, and it's getting to the point where everybody can beat everybody. You know, there's uh, some of these teams, they were dinged up. They had some health issues, um, lack of ability to practice together, games canceled, what have you. Um, but it looks like all these teams are, are starting to arrive a little bit. You know, even Denver is, is getting healthier. And once they're healthy and they have their full roster, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, uh, it's not one of the, I don't think we're going to see any games that are in the 30 points, they're a 30 point margin anymore, you know? So, so I'd agree a lot with, with what Greg said and that, you know, obviously really impressive what South Dakota did that first night, but you know what, it was, it was almost equally impressive what South Dakota state did the second night in the fact that, you know, they had to figure out and they had to find their way through that game when they weren't necessarily playing that well. It, they needed that. I mean, South Dakota State needed that type of game. They needed a dogfight. They haven't been playing a lot of games. Obviously, it's not their fault. You, you can only accomplish so much in practice. And sometimes you just really have to go through the fire sometimes as a team. And I think South Dakota State really is probably feeling much better about things. I think they I think a lot of their thoughts and feelings are validated after playing uh, a USD team like that. So, you know, it's sort of an iron sharpen iron situation for them. And, and for, for NDSU, it's, it's important for them to be able to win games at different, uh, at different tempos. And of course, if you're Oral Roberts, you have to know that 
you know, they still have that puncher's chance to knock off one of the best teams in the league. So I don't think I'm, I'm with you guys. I don't think anything was settled, but it's just good to see all these teams starting to become the version of themselves that we all know that they could be. You know, I think the questions surrounding some of these programs were just like, man, you know, we had they have to figure some things out. And we didn't think that they couldn't figure it out. It's just there's some questions to be answered. And, and I think a lot of those questions are getting answered. So it's just it's starting to get more fun. It's going to get harder and harder to predict these games. It just sort of seems like whichever team is just slightly more desperate than the other one, that's usually what does it. It's and you know, in all these games, it's you know, it's sort of the old adage are you hungry or are you starving? And we saw USD starving to get that monkey off their back at Frost Arena the first night, and then we we saw SDSU starving to prove that hey, we're, we're still a team that everybody thinks that we are the second night, so it's just really high level basketball, man. Just interesting coaching adjustments. Uh, it's just a really, really high level of basketball now, yeah. I agree. I agree with both of you. It it really didn't say one team was better than the other three or anything like that. I will say it was impressive to watch South Dakota and Oral Roberts get a split on the road against the two teams generally considered the two best programs in the Summit League. I, I think it more showed that those four teams are a lot closer than we maybe thought at the beginning of the year than it did one team is that much better than any of the other three. Yeah. I agree with you, Todd. It wouldn't Sorry. surprise me to see a lot of splits. It wouldn't surprise me to see a lot of splits coming down the stretch here. I just, I think these teams are are so close that I just don't know that you're going to see a whole lot of sweeps anymore. Right. Yeah, and and just the last thing I'll mention is two things. Um, I appreciate that Zach Dosh brought up a Tim Brewster comment, uh, Tim Brewster quote. You know, are you hungry? Are you starving? <laughs> I mean, I yeah. have to give you a lot yeah. of credit. Yeah, that's the old <laughs> adage. Yeah, and then. The second thing is, and and maybe this would get will get addressed later on, but um, Dentlinger on the second night for South Dakota State, I'm happy for that kid. Uh, he had an all league season last last year, and and this year has been extremely inconsistent, and 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 maybe a product of their their inability to play on a consistent basis. But well, I'll tell you what, he really established himself, and when he is good. He is that fifth cog in that exceptional um, wheel that, that South Dakota State has offensively. And uh, so, you know, if he's good, he takes South Dakota State to that level that is, is going to be hard to beat for any team in the league. Yeah. I, I want to talk about the other matchups and maybe frame it this way as well. And then we'll get into each matchup also. So we had couple of overtime games in the other matchups we had close games throughout did this these four matchups just show us that this summit league tournament is going to be really competitive and some crazy things could happen and maybe we end up with the top four in the semifinals but i could also see where these middle of the row middle of the pack teams can can do some damage as well zach do you think we could really see a competitive tournament coming up in a few weeks I really do. Um, much like what we saw last year with UND going on a run to the conference championship game. You know, right. I, I really do think that's the case. And, um, and we're seeing, we're seeing some inconsistent performances out of these, uh, out of these teams. But what you are seeing is that, you know, when these teams are at their best, they're right there with some of these top teams. I'd say they're just not quite consistently there. Um, but yeah, you put them on a neutral floor. You put them. Uh, you you put them between advancing and their off season, and special things can happen. And these teams are are like I said, are getting healthy. They're kind of figuring out who they are, and I think they just about all have their puncher's chance at this point. Anyway, I'll I'll uh, I'll follow up with Zach's comments because I think he's hit on some great things. I, you know, you always go. Um, that first round, the conference tournament, the quarterfinal, quarterfinal round is always the highest pressure round. I, I, I honestly mean that because all the favorites are thinking we can't lose this game. And all the underdogs are going, we had nothing to lose. And last year we saw it with, with the 1-8 in North Dakota State and Denver. Denver almost pulled the upset. The two previous years we saw it, you know, with South Dakota State, uh, right. you know, uh, getting taken down by Western Illinois. and 
I, I, I told Brian and Brian Sean and Greg Enkers and Jody Norstead, some Midco people I work with, I said, you know, and this was last night, I said, I don't know that the team that, that I would least want to see in the first round is Kansas City. The way yeah. they guard, the way they get after you, the way they have a, a nothing to lose mentality for 40 minutes of every night, that's not going to be an enjoyable to, to run into in the first round of the conference tournament. With UND, the way Ianacho is, is continuing to develop his game, everybody else are growing into their roles. I see them as probably a five or six seed as, along with Kansas City. Those are not going to be easy easy outs in, in the first round of the conference tournament. And then you look at a Western Illinois who's on a three-game winning streak in the league, wins two at Omaha. Omaha probably one of the most disappointing teams in the league this year. And and Darren Hansen is, is a, an absolute uh, – you know, gem of a guy and, and an excellent coach. And, I, and it's just, it's, it's difficult to understand why they are where they are with some of the guys they have returning. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with Zach. The, the first round of this conference tournament, those quarterfinals, they may all be 20-point games, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'd be excited about coaching in any one of them, to be honest with you. There's just something about the finality of a conference tournament. You know, you got these seniors out there thinking that, you know, we've just been going around playing games for four years and all this and that. And then it like, you kind of see it happen where the second half starts and maybe they're behind a little bit and they start to think, and it starts to kind of dawn on them that if we don't win this, my basketball career is over and you never know how that's going to manifest itself in the way that they play. It, it can have people acting out of character from time to time. Right. And it does not take much to lose one of these games. It doesn't take much. I mean, yeah, if, if UND is playing South Dakota State, UND needs South Dakota State to, to be a little out of character. But if they are, then who knows? You know, and so it's, it, it's just something about the finality of it that just is this added, uh, added component and, and variability that it's hard for even the coaches to control. Um, you never really know what's going through some of these players' heads. And so it's, uh, that's, what, that's, that's what makes it fun, though, too. That's what makes it so fun and so satisfying for the people that are able to, to crack that code. Right. And, and as you guys speak to the, to the competitiveness of this weekend and just the tournament coming up, it is one of those things, too, that even the Denver-UND uh, series that went into overtime in two, two games – in the first game, and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I think it started on Friday, and I got five messages from people on Twitter, say, direct messages saying, how do I find this game uh, as mm-hmm. it was going into overtime and it was going towards the end there? And so the, the people people want to see it as well, and not just the top teams, uh, the the teams that are struggling a little bit too. I think it speaks to both the the want to watch and just good competitive basketball that we get a chance to watch week in and week out in the Summit League. Uh, I'll start into the matchups with South Dakota and South Dakota State, uh, the biggest rivalry over this weekend and and the uh, two un, unbeaten teams coming into this weekend. Wanted to start with a question based on a lot of comments I received on Twitter. Uh, one of the things about South Dakota State losing in the first game, there was a lot of talk about them coming out flat and that the fact that they had been off the week before because of canceled series. My take on it was more this South Dakota defense is still underrated as far as how good they are. The numbers speak for themselves, but it wasn't something that was talked about last year with past South Dakota teams. Do you guys think it was South Dakota State coming out flat with with the fact that they had missed last week? Um, South Dakota defense just being that good or just a combination of those two things? I would probably lean more towards giving credit to USD about their defense. I mean, they, you know, I I was just kind of watching them play and I mean, they get after it. They're smart. They talk well, they communicate well, they're always in position, but you know, to kind of look at it a little different angle, I mean, they have Comateros and Zizic in the middle. That's not like something a lot of these teams have, you know, you don't see a lot of those just huge, big, strong guys, and they do a great job guarding the rim well, and they make you hit shots over the top of them, and they don't get too crazy with their defense, but they're just very fundamentally sound, and they just make you work really, really hard to get any points at all. They don't give you anything. They don't break down, and 
I, I think they kind of, and that kind of frustrated South Dakota State a little bit, and they had them on their heels a little bit. You know, South Dakota State, very well shooting team. That first game shot 25% from the three-point line and 31% from the field. I mean, that tells you that that's more or less good defense. I, I'd be willing to bet. Um, I always, I would always rather give them credit rather than try to take something away from South Dakota State. But, you know, it, it uh, you can't simulate that type of defense in practice. And um, it's happened too many weeks in a row for South Dakota State for it to be a coincidence at this point, I think. I'll just tack on to Zach's comments because I think he makes a great point. I guarantee you Eric Henderson is not going to go out and make excuses. And I guarantee he's not going to walk in that locker room and make excuses for his guys. You know, because we had a week off, we had extra rest, whatever. You're either ready to play or you're not. And USD on Friday night came out and took it to South Dakota State, to their credit, on both ends of the floor. When, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, I just, I, I think I tweeted out Friday night, I'm going, good gosh. The Plitzowite kid, how much of an impact has he made for USD? How much has he solidified that lineup? And and for Coach Lee to have to be able to look out there, probably in practice, and they're after some some early season games, it goes, well, I know I've got Plitzowite and Umude. How do I slot guys in around them? And it allows him to to just see what guys complement what you know what Plitzowite and Umude bring to the floor. Not only offensively, because that's where the the most prolific, but they still have to be able to do things defensively. And to their credit, they've done a heck of a job, you know, putting Comateros in there, Zizic, you know, in some backup situations. And then, you you know, you you throw these other guys in there that have really stepped into some, some defined roles. They know what they're supposed to do. And on top of that, they better be willing to sit down and, and guard. Because I think that's what Coach Lee is, is, is sending a message to his guys about, is saying, listen, if we want to have success in the postseason, it's going to come down to our ability to defend and our ability to execute in the half court. I don't think there's any question they can execute in the half court offensively. Can they defend in the half court? To this point, they've certainly proved that. So uh, Eric Henderson and his guys, with a great answer on Saturday night, did a heck of a job. But on Friday night, USD earned that one. And it just... I'll go back to what we first started talking about. The, the top four teams have kind of separated themselves at this point. At the same time, it doesn't mean that they aren't immune to a poor performance and all of a sudden being out in the first round of the conference tournament. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. You know, that, that first night, USD just did such a good job of getting South Dakota State a little out of character, you know, maybe relying on the three a little bit too much, you know, being a little too hesitant to put the ball on the floor and get all the way to the rim. And, and so what does South Dakota State do the second night to come out and establish that mentality that they had kind of lost in that first night? They go right into the post. Matt Dentlinger, 21 points. Douglas Wilson, 21 points. And, and Douglas Wilson was playing bully ball on that. And, and you better believe that was trying to send a message to South Dakota State that, you know, hey, we're not going to play this game on our heels like we kind of did on Friday night. And so I think really good adjustments out of South Dakota State, like I said at the top. I think they really needed this game. They needed that Friday game. They needed to get pushed up, pushed around, you know, punched in the face a little bit and, and just kind of woken up a little bit. Um, and uh, that's good. And, and, I, and I think Coach Henderson would say that too. And, um, and I think they learned a lot about themselves. I think they had to dig deep on, on Saturday night. They had to dig deep and, and, they, and they found it and they found a way. And that's, that's the mark of a champion. And that's something that you, you want to see out of them if they're going to, sort of reverse that that poor taste in the mouth that last year left uh, with them. So um, it, I think both teams took a step this weekend. Well, and just another example of don't take anything we say on Twitter or on this podcast too seriously. I believe it was close to halftime of the second game when I had questioned on Twitter whether Douglas Wilson had lost a step and then he went and scored 17 points in the second <laughs> half. And, uh, and so don't ever take anything we say too seriously. Um, it, it, I was get, getting ready to hit the delete button by the, by the time the second half was over. Um, yeah. And just a really impressive second half for him. He was in some pretty major foul trouble in the first half uh, with three fouls and, and uh, came out and just lit, lit it on fire in the second half. So kudos to him. Todd, all you did was ask a question and Douglas yeah, answered it and Douglas yeah, answered true. it for you. So, you know what? Don't apologize for asking a question and getting an answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He absolutely answered it and, and clearly answered it. 
Um, I wanted to talk about another player. Charlie Easley didn't, I don't, if he did play in the first game, it was barely, and I'd have to go back and look, but he played, um, he had only played 20 minutes in the previous three games. And then in game two, he played 22 minutes. And I thought played was maybe the key to South Dakota state's win outside of some players that we've mentioned already. He played fantastic defense on AJ Plitza white. Uh, what did you guys see from Charlie Easley in that second half? of game two. I think I saw a, a pretty mature kid that understands why he was on the court and listened to his coaches and executed his role very well. That's going to happen throughout the course of this year. We've talked about this pretty much every single week. Sometimes players play more in certain weekends than others. And, and we've seen a lot of great examples of players staying ready. And then when they get their chance, they make the most of it. And he's earning his keep on this team. Cause quite honestly, there may not be a great, uh, a big role for him on this team if he doesn't do things like that. But right. give credit to him. He's not focused on knocking down shots. He's focusing on just what he can do to help the team. And you're right. They kind of found that nice combination with easily on Plitza White. And, you know, then uh, Amude took a, a, a about two or three minute break in that midway through the second half. And that's really when, South, when those two things happened. That's when South Dakota State kind of got their lead back. And then uh, they, they never gave it up. So um, give a lot of credit to Coach Anderson and his staff for just finding the right combination and, and you know, just continuing to try different things and, and asking a lot of his players and, uh, and, his, and getting his players to respond. I agree. And I think it comes down to this. Um, you know, USD has, has been on a roll for a number of reasons, but the, the biggest reason is the fact that A.J. Plitzowite is flat out one of the best players in the league one of the best facilitators in the league, one of the best producers in the league. And so if you can, you know, the old adage of, you know, can, you know, if you can cut the head off, you know, if you can control Plitzowite, mm-hmm. take him out of his game, you may diminish the productivity of a number of other players on that USD team. And so it's going to be interesting to see if, if some other teams try to say, you know what, no matter what, we try to take Plitzowite out of the game because he has shown his value to this point. And what it also allows Coach Lee an opportunity to do is say, listen, we've got to be better. If they take A.J. out of the game, who else steps up? In, 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 in what other roles can we produce? Can we facilitate? Can we make our teammates better? So I think that's a challenge for USD going forward. I think that's one of those things that in a loss, what can you take out of it? I have to believe Coach Lee is saying, okay, we're going to see some other teams trying to really take Plitzelwhite away and, and, and limit his effectiveness. How do we respond to that, and how do we maintain our efficiency and our toughness and our execution? Uh, you know, with, with, if if AJ's taken away, so credit to SDSU and Eric Henderson and Charlie Easley, for, you know, for stepping up and 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 doing a heck of a job on on Blitzwhite. And I think USD has a chance to benefit from this, and I also think the rest of the teams in the league have a chance to learn from this as well. Well, it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that strategy, Greg, because it, it seems to be coming a pretty popular strategy in the league, whether it's, you know, because the, you know, the, if, you, if a team has a player like Stanley Amude on it um, and A.J. Plitzelwhite or Max A. Smith and Kevin O'Banner, you know, you, you essentially have two main choices. One is to try to get the ball out of their hands and double them and try to take them away or two, you know, play them tough man on man, but then try to take everybody else away. And it seems like more teams are going towards that. Let's just try to take everyone else away. Let them score 30 points. But in the second half, they're going to be out of gas, particularly the second night. And their role players are going to be so out of rhythm that they're not going to be able to help down the stretch. And I'd I'd, I'd be curious to see if, if coach Henderson, you know, obviously he's, he, he, the plan was probably to never give, um, Stanley Mude 30 some points, but you know, is, is the plan just to play him straight and then try to take everyone else away? Um, cause that seems to work. I, I think it kind of makes people nervous sometimes cause you see how many points Stanley Mude is scoring, but it, it's almost kind of like the rope-a-dope strategy because you could tell they, they kind of USD kind of fell right into SDSU's trap because down the stretch, you know, when Stanley Mude was out of the game and then when he was, I don't know, maybe a little gassed or so, but the role players were not really involved a lot and it worked out fantastic for South Dakota state. 
So whether that was by design or by happenstance, it, it came together really nicely towards the end of that, particularly that second game for South Dakota State. Well, Zach, it's interesting you say that because it, it and we'll go to this matchup in a little bit, but in the game that Oral Roberts lost, Kevin O'Banner and Max Asmus scored, I think, 85% of their points. Mm-hmm. And and then in the game they they won, it was far more balanced. Now, of course, mm-hmm. O'Banner and Asmus scored a lot of points. That's, that's going to happen. But it was far more balanced and a much better offensive game for Oral, Oral Roberts. So a really interesting point on what do you try to do? Do you just live with those top two players doing doing their thing? Or do you um, – and, and then even the offensive adjustment the other way around. Mm-hmm. One one other player I wanted to mention in this in this series and just in general for South Dakota State and let you guys talk about him a little bit because I just don't think we mentioned him enough given what he gives the team. Uh, Baylor Shireman, two rebounds and one assist short of a triple-double in the second game. And I just wanted to recognize him. I, I don't think he's recognized because he does a little bit of everything as the elite player he is. I, he's, he's a player of the year candidate in – and just doesn't maybe the the scoring numbers aren't quite as high, but he just does everything a little bit of everything for South Dakota State. Well, Todd, I'll disagree with you. I think we've all talked about the fact that Baylor Shireman is a player of the candidate, and and, and I and I say that kind of half jokingly. Don't get me wrong; I'm not coming back at you. I, I appreciate okay. you. I appreciate you bringing him up. Right. The guy does everything. The guy can shoot. His range is about thirty feet. Um. The uh, the the odds of him getting eight to ten rebounds a night is is pretty high, and uh, his ability to facilitate, distribute. He he's a heck of a player, and I think he just. I I will go back to the law firm, Arians Friedel Shireman. These guys are the most versatile group on the perimeter in the league at this point. And they do so many different things for their team and, and help them be successful in so many ways. Shireman is going to guard anybody from a one to a five, to be honest with you. And and he'll have anybody else matched up on him. So, uh, no, the kid's a fantastic player. I think it's a great observation on your part, Todd. I think Baylor Shireman is a perfect example of why coaches love recruiting multi-sport athletes. They love it. They talk about it all the time. You know, there's this huge tug of war between the high school coaches wanting kids to specialize and the college coaches saying, no, don't do that. And this kid is a perfect example why. You can tell he was a great quarterback. You can just tell by the way he he get, he has his finger on the pulse of his team and he understands what his team needs to do. He understands how Douglas Wilson's feeling. He understands where Douglas Wilson wants the ball. He understands the weaknesses of the defense. He's just a very cerebral, smart, tough competitor. And I think that's something that you get when you play multiple sports. I don't think there's any way around it. And so give him, give him a lot of credit. You know, I'm sure if there's a ping pong table in, in the training room, I'm sure he's probably winning the, the ping pong matches. You know, he's, he just seems like one of those kids that just loves to compete, is really smart, and is supremely skilled. So whatever the weakness of the defense is that night, he can exploit it because he's so well-rounded. And so um, he's a fun player to watch. Definitely. Uh, yeah, he's going to be first team all conference. That's for sure. Zach, great points. And I always said this as a college basketball coach, give me the multi-sport athletes because their ceiling is much higher than what they've already gotten to. You get the specialized guys, how much better can they get? You get the multi-sport athletes and, and just their, their, their toughness, their, their cerebral approach to the game. It allows them to improve so much throughout the course of their career and Shireman's a great example. So I, I just echo what you just said, Zach. And they're just so hard to take off the floor, you know? Like, you look at him, like, if he's not knocking down any shots, you, you still probably want him on the floor. You know, there's not a lot of players you can say that about. And uh, and that just comes through through being a smart, high IQ, tough competitor. Well, and the sad part is, it isn't just high school coaches pushing for specialization. My my son, I basically was told if my son wants to be serious about wrestling, he should focus on it when he was six. <laughs> I just yeah. laughed, and that was our last year in wrestling. But uh, yeah. yeah, so it's just a it's it, unfortunately going the other direction. It kind of seems, and and yet, it those other sports help a person grow so much. And it's funny. I mean, I, and I don't know the the background of the, the coach that told your son that, but 
you know, as somebody that kind of went through the system and like, I was a really late bloomer too. And it's, I always just kind of have to chuckle. Like when I see like little kids tournaments or something like that, like <laughs> the fact that anything before the time when you're like, you know, maybe 17, 18, do you think that decides whether you play in college or you get a scholarship or not? It absolutely doesn't. But right. uh, that's probably for a different podcast. But um, that, that just, that bothers me a lot when you start to hear and see stuff like that. Well, so we'll move on to our next mass matchup. It was Oral Roberts went to North Dakota state and there was a split there as well. And I'll ask you guys a question and then feel free to go into what you, what you observe from the series. To me, it felt like a split was pretty critical for Oral Roberts in the fact that they're playing a team whose style is kind of antithetical to them and they're on the road and kind of just to prove that they could, they belong in that top four. Is that, was that your feeling from the series as well, or, or did you have a different take? I'm with you, Todd. Um, you know, when you look at Oral Roberts, the fact that they had two losses outside of the top four teams and outside of the, well, the other outside of the other top three teams in the league, they, they had to, to prove that they could, you know, that they belong in the top four. And, and they did that. Uh, the first night Zach referred to this uh, earlier you know, about how O'Banner and Aismas were so relied upon in that first night, and, and it really caught up to them. And NDSU kind of handled them throughout that, the course of that game. I shouldn't say handled from the standpoint of always had the game in control, but, you know, they, they were able to kind of pull away at the end and and have a quality win. But the next night, and uh, goes back to what Zach and, and you have both referred to, is they got help. They had other guys step up, and they proved that we're not a two-man show even though those two guys are probably, again, first-team all-league consideration, um, if not guaranteed. Um, you know, Aismas and, and O'Banner are as good as they are in the league. But uh, they, they needed to find a way to come out with a win that second night. And I think NDSU just really struggled. NDSU, you know, was, it over, was able to overcome some, you know, a, a, a couple of long offensive droughts on Friday night. They weren't, they were not able to overcome them on Saturday night. And I believe that Paul Mills has to be ecstatic getting out of Fargo with a split and, uh, and proving that, you know what, we are good enough to belong in the top four. We're good enough to be a top four seed in the tournament. And we're good enough to, to win this league if we have the chance to. And so, um, no, they, they needed that NDSU, it was great for them to have Malik Harden Hayes back. I think you referred to this in some of the notes that you sent out prior to the podcast, Todd. Um, I love what he brings to this team, not only from his production, but from his ability to play. And, and I know that sounds oversimplified, but they were down a couple of bodies, you know, with, with Skunberg still not in the, in the lineup and uh, Harden Hayes sitting out. That, that really limits our rotation. But Harden-Hayes' availability is, is critical for NDSU, but credit to ORU for finding a way to get out of Fargo with a split. Yeah, I think with, with Oral Roberts, you know, UND's dipping at their heels a little bit. And, you know, clearly I think Oral Roberts is a better team than, than UND, but, I mean, you just have to be careful. I mean, because if, if they – so if if – if UND would have swept this weekend and, and uh, Oral Roberts would have been swept, um, you know, they're, they're right there. And then you have to, then it's, you know, okay, so it's just flipping the four and five spot. That's not that big of a deal. But if they would, for some reason, slip to the sixth spot, then all of a sudden, then you have to play one of those top three teams in the first, in the first round of the conference tournament. I mean, Oral Roberts has South Dakota State and South Dakota coming up. Yeah. You know, it's not going to, it's not going to get any easier. I mean, honestly, if they come away with, Two of the two wins in the next two weekends, they're probably feeling pretty good about that. Meanwhile, UND kind of is going to be going through the bottom of the conference. You know, it, it, it could get very interesting. It could be very interesting. You want to just get all the gettables. And so I, I think to, to turn things around from the way they went Friday night was pretty impressive. You know, it's pretty tough to get some of those role players to get going on the road. And so it looked like he did had a much more concerted effort that second night. And so um, obviously very important, very important. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll know much more about this Oral Roberts team after this, this gauntlet of the next two weeks. Greg, I kind of wanted, and, and Zach, you can of course answer this as well, but Jackson Notek is one of those players. I get a lot of questions about him and his spot in the rotation. 
And then I watch, and when he gets minutes, he does some really great things on the offensive end. Um, but he, in game one, he he played barely at all. If he if he, I don't think he even played in game one. In game two, uh, played quite a few minutes and was the first off the bench. Is it a defense thing with him, or what? What is it that his spot is so inconsistent in the rotation? It's a great question, Todd. And I think it really comes down to Dave Richmond and his evaluation throughout the week of practice. You know, saying, hey, who am I most comfortable going to in certain situations? Now, Notech has certainly um, shown the ability to shoot to, to shoot the basketball extremely well. He's done a better job as uh, over the course of his career of, of a little shot fake and then putting the ball in the deck and getting to the rim. And I think he's a very – I think he's a smart player. He's a high IQ player. He's not the greatest on-ball defender. I think he's very good off the ball. And it really comes down to a feel for Dave Richmond. Who do I go with? Do I go with an Odell Wilson – the versatility of NDSU's lineup allows him to say, I can pick between an Odell Wilson, a Jackson Notech, especially with Scunberg unavailable, and, and say, here's what my gut says. Because if he goes, he has the versatility in his lineup to shift people around. Odell Wilson is really a kind of a, a post defender. Notech is a perimeter defender, and he can always adjust his lineup. And it really comes down to what, what he has seen throughout the course of the week and what his confidence level is. Obviously, on Friday night, you talk about No Tech didn't play. Um, they were North Dakota State was, you know, I don't want to overplay this, but for the most part, in control of that game. Yeah. You know, uh, I think Saturday night was they were struggling offensively, and No Tech certainly brings more production to the floor from an offensive standpoint. So I think it comes down to what what do you need at that point in time? Do you need to? Do you need to maintain and, and finish a game defensively by getting stops? You insert an, a Wilson in there and, and rotate everybody else. Do you need to find a way to create some scoring opportunities? No tech seems to be the best option that way. I think it comes down to really your gut as a head coach and what you've seen throughout the course of the week and also what you know different guys can bring to the floor at different times. So I, that, that's, my, that's my observation in all of this. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, I only speak from a former coaching standpoint that sometimes you go, you know what, it, I just thought it was the right thing to do at that time. And it's hard to argue because you're the guy that's in the, in the practice gym all week watching these guys play and compete and get ready to perform. Right. Man, what a luxury to be able to decide, do I want to bring this 6-6 shooter off the bench this game or not? I mean, what a fantastic position to be in if you're Coach Richmond. Yeah. Yeah, it, it 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 is interesting to see. And again, he's he's obviously shows some things when he goes on the court, and uh, that's why he comes up so often. And whether it be in on the the blogs or what have you in in questions, I, I did want to note R.J. Glasper late in game two went down with an injury, looked like it either a knee or an ankle, and he was putting no weight on his on his left foot at all. Um, big loss for ORU. I don't know any more than that at this point, but we've we've talked about him before as the clear number three guy in their offense. And if he misses extended time with them having South Dakota State and South Dakota coming up, it's going to be a rough. Or they're going to have to find it from somebody somewhere else uh, if he's not able to make it. Hey, also, what happened with Marlon Ruffin? Uh, obviously, the game wasn't on TV, but did he did he take a hard fall or something? Yeah, he, uh, so it was on the, on the Omaha, you know, Omaha has their own stream and he went up for a layup and I don't know if there was even really contact, but he fell and and just hit his head really hard on the floor and he, and he wears those, uh, glasses, those sport glasses. So there was a cut right where the glasses were. And it, it looked like on Twitter today, he had said that he was, he was out for a, for a, a little bit there. And when they cut to him after the, the, the ball got dribbled down to the other end of the floor, then they stopped the game. Cause he was still laying on the ground. They cut back over to him and he was clearly disoriented and was trying to get up. And, and the coaching staff was holding him down from getting up. He was bleeding from his right eye. Uh, it, it was a pretty serious fall. And, and luckily he posted today on Twitter that, uh, he was awake and, and, uh, feeling good. So that's good to hear, but, uh, really scary fall. Yeah. And okay. yeah, and I'll go back to your tweet. You know, it's, it's great to see that Ruffin. I think he probably feels like he's going to be back and I'm happy that it wasn't more serious than it was. 
I'll go back to your Glasper thing. That that is a big deal for or, for for ORU. They need to have that consistent third option. Now they've had different guys step up here, and I think they're growing as a team offensively and trying to find additional options. But if Glasper's not available going into some of these high-level series, that's going to be a concern for ORU unless they feel they've gained enough confidence in some of these other players uh, to step into that role. So um, Glasper's uh, injury seemed to be more concerning at this point just from the standpoint that Ruffin uh, seems to be willing to come back and and ready to come back. And and even though Omaha is, is struggling at this point in time, unquestionably I, I i'm not sure exactly why i, I mean I, I know they lost a, some, a ton of production from last year but glasper's loss has to be a concern for oru at this point how long will it be if he, can he be back next weekend if not who's going to step into that role that that's a pretty big deal for oru especially down the stretch here when they're playing these top level teams well and especially because they need another primary ball handler so it's not always max ace mess uh and and that has been rj glasper when especially when teams take the ball away from ace mess so i'm not sure who steps up whether it be carlos jurgens or or someone like that um, who actually played really good defense in the second game against north dakota state but yeah they're gonna have to find another guy um if he is out i mean i it just looked really bad so who knows what in college basketball, there's not a lot of information often on injuries, but uh didn't look good. Since since we started talking about Omaha, let's move to the Western Illinois Omaha series. So Western Illinois won two games and now three in a row in the Summit League after not winning a Summit League game before that. And just based on the schedule, I think we're going to see some of this from some of the teams that are in the bottom. It will start to shake itself out. I wanted to start out by... Uh, mentioning a player in Will Carius, who we've talked about a few times on the podcast, but he averaged 21 and a half points over the weekend and averaging just short of 15 and five on the season, shooting 41% from three. Is he one of the least known possible all summit first, second, you know, third team type guys in the league? Probably. I don't know that a lot of people have really gotten a chance to see him play yet you know when when he played NDSU obviously it was at his place and then you know we saw him play against UND but you know obviously it's it's just his first year in the league and and I think that conference tournament is something that people watch a lot and so I think people are gonna really like watching him play and he's a very very smart player he's a very efficient player he has good size and he's a good defender as well so I mean a lot to like they they seem to they seem to basically play the same lineup as they did this last weekend, which which obviously I don't blame them to do. But th- that's obviously a new development for West Illinois that looks like they may be done with a little bit of their experimentation uh, like they were doing earlier in this year. I'll answer your question, Todd. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's he and I think that like Zach said, I think people will be really surprised. He's he's an elite shooter and and does a lot of other things as well. So it'll be I think the tournament will will have some of those tweets going, who is this guy? Um, yeah. And 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 yet, you know, averaging 15 and five and um, tw- again, like I said, the last six games are so really scoring at a high level for Western Illinois. Yeah. Um, well, go ahead. Well, so, when, I, when I was calling the game. I was saying, who is this guy? You know, because right. he, he was only averaging 12 points a game, and I'm thinking I'm kind of looking at things, and, I, you know, I had a chance to watch some of their games, and it's like, okay, you know, he's a starter in the league, you know, a nice player. But, he, you know, 34 points on 12 shots and for touching the ball for about a total of 30 seconds. Just imagine if he got more looks. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, and I'm just like, holy smokes, who is this guy? <laughs> and, right. and, oh, and, oh, by the way, a D3 transfer. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And D2 before that, I think, Zach, you've said that stat on the podcast before, but either the only or the second player ever to play at all three levels of uh, college basketball. So just another interesting stat with Will Carius. Yep. Uh, one other player I wanted to make sure we mentioned and and is A.O. Akinwale, uh, averaged 24 points a game in this series. Really good to see a player who we had kind of thought was going to be sneaky 
a sneaky surprise this season, really had a great series against Western Illinois. It'll be interesting to see what what he does going forward, especially if Marlon Ruffin is out um, for any period of time at all with, with his injury. Yeah, he certainly then, has a lot on his shoulders. He has a lot on his shoulders, and there was a lot of vacated production ahead of him. Yeah. And that's why I think I was one of the guys that said, hey, you may sneak onto the second team all-conference uh, team just because there's just so much usage that uh, has been vacated. But um, you know, he, he's he's progressing. You know, he's progressing. You know, he's taking care of the ball a little bit better now, it looks like. And so, um, you know, two-point game for Omaha this weekend, at least on Saturday anyway. Right. Yeah, and, and good for Akimole. I just think it's 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 been one of those years for Darren Hand. You know, you never know who's going to step up, but the only problem is not enough guys have stepped up on on the right nights at the right times, and and that's why they remain winless in the league. So, it's been a difficult deal. Credit Western Illinois, Coach Jeter. They're on a a three win three game win streak in the league. Can they continue to build on this? And and Omaha, can they find a way to get them to dig themselves out of the cellar? and find a way into the conference tournament. Yep. Western Illinois, holder of the longest winning streak in the conference. That's where we're at right now, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure yep. anyway. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, and who would have thought, you know, two weeks ago, it, people would be thinking, well, I would rather not play Western Illinois in the first round of the, the Summit League tournament. It's mm-hmm. Things can change it in a hurry, and and confidence is a underrated aspect of sports. We've we've all, in, in any type of sports, been in those times where – you go into a tournament or something like that and you win a few games beforehand and now you're beating teams that earlier in the year were, were destroying you and and it's, it's confidence is underrated. So if they can keep it going, you never know what a team can do mm-hmm. going into that tournament. Well, well, let's wrap it up with the last matchup of the weekend. North Dakota went to Denver and we had two overtime games the first one north dakota was able to get come away with the victory and the second one denver able to get their first summit league victory um does does that give denver an, a leg up on omaha do you think they're going to be able to hold and and stick with that eighth spot or do we think we still have a whole lot of basketball left to play and let's see what happens between those two teams i, I think there still is quite a bit of basketball left to play um obviously great to see robert jones back uh, but Omaha, I mean, you know, the, that's the thing about the, these weekends. I mean, the, the the line between winning and losing is so fine. And right. it, it it would it surprise any of us to see Omaha do what Western did over these last two weeks? You know, win three out of four? Probably not. You know, no. I, I could see I could see Omaha beating UND. I could see Omaha beating Denver. I could see you know, and so I, I don't think it's quite uh, quite settled yet. Um, you know. Certainly, it's it's uh, it's getting a little late, early, right, for uh, Omaha. But um, you know, they're they're still they're 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 getting better. I would say, you know, we're not seeing like twenty point games or anything like that. And so it's just, I think it's only a matter of time for them. Yeah, I'm in agreement, and, and that goes back to what we talked about the the uniqueness of the schedule. I do not think anybody in the Summit League foresaw this, and, and nobody. I think it was a complete luck of the draw. But to have the bottom half of the league really playing each other down the stretch, North Dakota has a chance to work themselves up into a four spot, to be honest with you, depending on how the, the top teams, you know, fare playing each other. Uh, Kansas City isn't far behind them. And, and Western Illinois on a roll right now. But at the same time, Omaha, you know, when you look at some of the experience they have and some of the confidence they're gaining, if Ruffin, Ruffin can come back at, at, you know, at the Ruffin level, the, the contribution that he brings – there's no reason that, that any of these teams, you know, and, and again, I, I hate saying the bottom of the league, but they are, um, can't go on a, on a three or four game run. And so it's going to be, I, I love the way this thing has played out. I love what we're going to watch. And all of a sudden we might be sitting here thinking, well, these top four teams have it all locked in. And all of a sudden one of these teams that are currently in the top four may end up as the five or the six seed. And all of a sudden we're looking at a, uh, uh, you know, a three or four or five seed coming, you know, working their way up out of the bottom of the league. And so it's going to be a, an enjoyable thing to watch play out. It's so big for Denver to have Jones back. It's a huge yeah. deal. Yeah. You know, it's a huge deal. You know, when you look at just an extra body, but a guy, his presence in the paint, 12, 
and six. He averaged on the weekend. It's a big deal for Denver, and I think that takes a lot of pressure off everybody else. And in the, in the meantime, a lot of guys with with not so much ex, not so much experience have gained a ton of experience. Let's see how Rodney Billups pieces this all together and builds on that critical win they got in overtime on the, on Saturday. Can they build on that? Can they get themselves in the league tournament? And can they be another threat here in the first round? Yeah. Can you imagine how good that high school team was with Robert Jones and Tyree Iannaccio playing on the same team? I'm, I'm <laughs> oh, from man. Minnesota and I don't even know. I mean, I don't watch high school basketball in Minnesota really, but that's two really talented. I forgot how good Robert Jones was till I saw him on the court this weekend. Well, it speaks to the level of of, of high school basketball in Minnesota. I mean, that's why there are so many Division One players coming out of there. That's why St. Thomas is going to be a great addition to the league. That's why so many teams in the Summit League recruit the heck out of Minnesota because Prior Lake. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, there may not be a, have been a lot of people that that thought of them as a high level program, but here you have two Division One players that that have, are you know taking on high level roles in summer league programs. So it speaks to why, um, you know, high school basketball in Minnesota continues to be extremely impressive. Yeah. You know, I, I like following recruiting. I think it tells us a lot about why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. And uh, yeah, you're, you're right. If, if, uh, if, if little Richard Patino is able to keep three of the top five players from Minnesota home every year, Minnesota would never lose a game. And there's, there's probably what, what, 2025 division one kids every year in Minnesota. And so you're right. That that's exactly where my mind goes. St. Thomas, they're going to be just fine in probably two, three years. Right. Uh, back to, to this series, Rebracha followed out of both games and I, I was watching game one and I kept thinking, Oh, what, how is UND going to score the basketball? Now, luckily Mitchell Sucre kept getting fouled, which is basically a way of scoring the basketball. And uh, so they were able to take game one, but then uh, Ribaracha fouled out. And and now granted, he fouled out with a few minutes left and then there was overtime. So, but it was about 10 minutes in each game. They didn't have him on the floor. H- how important is, is it for him and North Dakota to, to for him to stay on the, on the floor? Well, Greg, I think you talked about this earlier, but cutting the head off the snake, that's exactly what going right at Philip Ribaracha does. Uh, you know, you put, Point blank, UND can't win if Philip Rabaccia isn't on the floor. They're, they're just not going to. And if I'm sort of creating a game plan to play against UND, I'm going hard at Philip Rabaccia on the defensive end, you know, making him play defense all game long, whether that's to get into his legs and wear him out or get some fouls on him or what have you. I mean, he knows that he can't be aggressive as he, as he wants to be on defense. He's not going to be as good as he wants to be because it's important for him to stay on the floor. Having every opponent attack him has to be the beginning part and, and just the foundation for everybody's offensive game plan. And so you're hundred percent right, Todd, he has to stay on the floor. Um, the drop off is too big behind him. Every team knows that. And Denver did a great job of just attacking him, attacking him, attacking him, getting him off the floor. And when he's off the floor, you know, UND doesn't really have anywhere to turn. That's a good observation. Zach, and I think it comes down to Paul Saylor right now is thinking, all right, I've got to, I've got to have discussions with Rebracha about how can we keep you on the floor? And then second of all, how can we do a better job, you know, during the course of the 40-minute game to say, when can we get him off the floor? And when can we use our Bonavicius? When, when can we use Sucre? When can we go with a smaller, more unique lineup if we have to, to, to keep him you know, fresh and, uh, and rested and, and as, as efficient defensively as we can. So he doesn't lapse into, you know, these foul issues because he has to understand his value on the floor to his team. And I think that's one of the things that I, my guess is coach Sather, his staff and, and, and Rebracha himself are all going to have to figure out together because they, they, there's no question. He's one of the best players in the league, but he's got, you know, he's only good if he's on the floor. And so I think that's one of the things that'll, uh, we'll see how that shakes out. And that's, I, I think that's the great thing about the games that are left. How do teams adapt? How do teams find a way to utilize, you know, their best players in the best manner possible and give themselves the best chance to be successful as a team. 
yeah, I think they're going to have to probably get more comfortable with um, Robracha and Suker playing separate. Uh, I know they kind of like playing them together, but they're going to have to play them separate a little bit more. Um, it, and and look who comes rolling into town next. You know, Tassos Kamateros, Nikola Zizic. <laughs> and the the type of guys that Phil Robracha has a hard time with are the big, strong, physical guys that can kind of rough them up a little bit. Because I'm pretty sure Phil Robracha is only about 220 pounds. And I'm looking at that matchup thinking, I think South Dakota probably feels pretty good about that. Honestly, you know, Phil Pabraccio may end up being first team all conference or at least second, but they're going to have to figure out that situation in a hurry because it's going to be even a bigger problem this coming weekend against South Dakota. Yeah. Um, Well, I have one more thing and you guys probably didn't get to watch game one, but Denver was down one point with 17 seconds related re- remaining. And Greg, I want to kind of get your thoughts on huddles and, and things like that. So there's 17 seconds left. They're down one. Uh, UND is inbounding. They inbound the ball to Suker. They trap Suker. He gets the ball out. And um, then I forget who he passed to, but that, that person doesn't get fouled. And then they dribble it around and get the ball back to Suker, and he's fouled with 1.7 seconds left. So 16 seconds off the clock. Suker hits both free throws. Denver shoots a three-quarter court shot that doesn't doesn't fall. When when you're going into huddles and things like that, I I would assume, I think rightly that there was not Coach Billups was not saying let's let as much clock go as we can and try to get a steal and follow them with two seconds left. But they they probably were trying to trap at the beginning and things like that. Do you talk to specific players about what their role looks like in that type of situation and? so they know what they're doing or was that just a breakdown in communication? What does, how does something like that happen? Cause I can't imagine it was, let's let that much time drain off the clock in a situation like that. Well, it's a good question, Todd. And really what it comes down to is, is you tell you guys, listen, you know, if we can, if we can create a turnover early, let's do it. it, it my guess is their whole thought process was let's let this possession play out. Let's trust our ability to defend and, 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 and let's do it without fouling. Well, you'd love to have your words always translate into actions, but kids sometimes, you know, might get a little bit overaggressive. Officials sometimes might see something that, that maybe you don't agree with as a coach or as a player. And I think that I, I'm sure that's what it was because I, there's no question that Rodney Billups wasn't saying, well, let's foul with under three seconds left. Right. Absolutely not. It just comes down to getting a little over aggressive, and they probably had him in a tough spot. And 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 you d- the last thing you want to do is bail him out with a foul. And you might have just gotten a little bit over aggressive, or maybe you have to give some credit to the offensive player for creating that contact and getting themselves to the to the line. But uh, the, the coaching aspect of it is, if we can create a tor- turnover early, let's do it. But we're going to do this thing without fouling, and we're we're going to make them score over the top of us just ended up fouling him and, and bailing him out at the end. Yeah, I think people would be really surprised at the college level just how often sort of things like that happen. You know, it's it's much harder to script things to a T in college because these players are so much better. Like, these players are just much, much better. That's In high school, you know, you can really script things out. If you want to run a play for Johnny to hit a three in the corner – then you do exactly that, and he goes and stands in the corner, and they pass him the ball, you know, things like that. In college, it's you, you can't quite get that cute with things. You have to just more or less trust your players. You say, hey, this is what we want to do. We want one trap, and but then after five seconds, then you need a foul, right? So my guess is he probably said something like that. And you can't get too specific with how you exactly do that because it, sure. it could play out in different ways. And so a lot of it comes down to trusting your players too. And so – um, yeah, I'm sure it's pretty frustrating for a guy like Greg, you know, drawing up these plays and then it, it kind of goes out there and it doesn't quite play it out. And that's where it goes back to having tough, smart, high IQ players like Baylor Shireman. That's how we're going to kind of put a bow on this thing here is, uh, you know, just smart players that can make good decisions. You're hundred percent right though. Under no circumstances, you let 17 seconds run off. It's just, that's a tough one. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this week's episode. And we have kind of a fun schedule coming up next week. There's two games on Friday 
then the regular four games on Saturday and then two games on Sunday again. So there will the Super Bowls tonight. So no more football. All sorts of time for us to uh, to sit down and watch some Summit League action uh, next weekend. And the big series is is South Dakota State is going to Oral Roberts for two games. And, and uh, so we will see you guys and talk to you guys next week. And we'll go from there. Sounds great. Take care, guys.